everybody. Welcome to Eagleburg Church. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, my own father's had a huge influence in my life, and so what an opportunity you have, dads, and how grateful we are for each and every one of you. Uh, we are in the fourth week of a series called A Time for Everything, based upon the book of Ecclesiastes, and we got that title from the verse that I'm going to be teaching through today. Even if you're not a Bible reader per se, this verse might be somewhat familiar to you because the birds wrote a song called Turn, Turn, Turn based on this verse that hit number one in 1965, the good old days, huh? That was 13 years before I was born, so I have no idea who the birds are, I'm sorry. But I did recognize the song when I heard it. Here's the verse that that song was based on. It's one of the most beautiful and poetic verses in the entire Bible. Solomon writes this. He says, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to rebuild, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak up. He says there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Solomon says that there is a season for every activity under heaven. In other words, life isn't predictable, controllable, or even linear. Instead, he says, we should see our life in terms of seasons. For example, maybe you're in a season of transition right now. You're about to start a new job or you're heading off to college this fall. Some of us are in a season of preparation. You're not even really sure what it is, but you just have this sense that God is preparing you for something in the future. Some of us are in drive your kids to activity season. That's actually a season, you know. You eat cereal for dinner, and if you had a parrot... It would constantly be mimicking you, get in the car, we're going to be late, because that's all you're ever saying to your kids these days in that season. There's a newborn season, there's teenagers, there's empty nesters, there's grandparents, there's a newlywed season for those of you who are married within the last year or so, there's a honeymoon season, that's a very short season, (laughs) unfortunately. There are seasons of singleness and dating. For some of us, you're in a retirement or soon-to-be retired season. We are all in a season. And so let me ask you, what season of life are you in right now? How would you describe that? And how content are you to be in that season of life? One of my son's friends is in first grade, and I love this kid. He's such a character. But I was driving him to baseball practice recently, and he started talking about this girl that he likes. And at one point, he referred to her as his girlfriend. I said, now, hold on a second. What what do you mean by that? Because you're in first grade. I said, have you taken her to a movie? No. Have you taken her out to dinner? No. I said, well, you're not really dating then, are you? He said, well, I'm going to make a nice candlelight dinner and have her over to my house. I said, how is she going to get to your house? Do you think that some dad is going to drive his first grade daughter over to your house so that you can wine and dine her for the evening? He said, I'll have her walk. I said, really? 
how far away does she live? He said, oh, about a half hour or so. I said, let me get this straight. Some girl is going to walk a half hour over to your house. She's going to tell her mom and dad, I'm walking a half hour over to this boy's house for a candlelight dinner. Don't bother waiting up for me. At this point, I was on a roll. I said, are you looking for jobs already as well? Because the purpose of dating is to find a spouse. And you don't need to find a spouse for about 15 years. So slow your roll, Casanova. <laughs> but this kid, he's, he's not content with the season of life that he's in. First grade is definitely not doing it for him. And that's the thing about seasons. Oftentimes, we wish we were in a different season than the one that we're in. Ever been there before? So you're in high school, and you think, oh, I just can't wait to get out of high school and be done with all this drama. Then you go off to college, and you think, oh, I just can't wait to graduate and get out into the real world. Then you get into the real world, and you get a job. And now you go, oh, I'm so sick of alarm clocks and deadlines, board meetings and focus groups. I just want to retire. I want to go play golf or, you know, go to Florida for the winter. So then you retire. And then what? What's next? You die. So maybe you ought to be grateful you're retired, okay? For those of you who are retired. But we do this in all areas of life. We can't wait to have kids, and then we can't wait for them to stop crying and get out of their diapers. And then we can't wait for them to start driving themselves to activities. And then we can't wait for them to pay for their own food. Someone was asking me recently, what is it like to have four kids under the age of nine? And I said, it's always loud, and I never go to the bathroom by myself. <laughs> but I can almost guarantee you that when my kids move out of the house, there's going to come a moment where my wife and I are going to look at each other, and we're going to go, it's too quiet around here. We're going to miss that season of life. And that's the thing about human beings is that oftentimes we wish we were in a different season than the one that we're in. But here's a thought for you. You are in the season that you are in because God wants you there. Instead of longingly looking ahead to the next season of life, what if all of us started to ask God questions like this? God, what are you trying to teach me in this season? What are you wanting to do in my life in this season? I would encourage you to spend some time this week, if you can, praying or journaling about that question. Identify the season of life that you're in, and then ask God, what are you trying to teach me in this season? In fact, as I was going through the book of Ecclesiastes, I identified at least three seasons that some of us might be in right now. The first one is this. Some of us are in a season of prosperity. Look at the juxtaposition of a few of these verses. Solomon says there's a time to plant and a time to harvest. What is a harvest? Well, it's, it's a time when you're prospering, you're reaping the benefits of your labor. He says there's a time to cry and a time to laugh. You laugh when you're joyful. Some of us are in a joyful, prosperous season of life. And then he says there's a time to grieve and a time to dance. I'm not sure that all of us should take that last part literally, by the way. For some of you, there's never a time to dance. I've seen you dance, okay? But you, you get the idea of what Solomon is saying here. He's saying that some seasons of life can be described as seasons of prosperity. 
How many of us are in a season of prosperity right now? I was recently reading through First and Second Chronicles in the Bible, and I noticed a pattern. That there were certain kings who started out serving God, but then when their kingdom prospered, they ditched God. Instead of their prosperity causing them to be joyful or thankful for all that God has, had done, their prosperity caused them to become prideful and apathetic towards God. They were like, our life is going great. We don't need God anymore. A lot of people today are the same way. When our life isn't going well, we're on our knees crying out to God. We're reading the Bible. That's the weekend we're in church. But then, when life gets going pretty good, we start to think, you know, I don't, I don't feel like going to church this weekend. It's really nice out. There's other things I would rather do. I find this even in my own life, where Bible reading gets replaced by social media browsing. Prayers before bed or dinner time, that probably still makes the cut, but that's about the extent of our prayer life. Why? Because some of us have not learned to handle prosperity well. Solomon says that prosperity is a gift from God. Look at what he writes. He says, people should enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. Ecclesiastes 7, 14, he says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. If you are in a prosperous season right now, enjoy the gifts that God has given you. Thank God daily for his blessing on your life, and then... Seek God as hard as you would if your life wasn't going well. Some of us are in a season of prosperity. Another season that you might be in right now is a season of transition. Look at a few of these verses. Solomon says there's a time to be born and a time to die. Birth is a transition. You're moving from the womb to this earth. Death is a transition from this life into eternal life. Solomon then says a time to tear down and a time to rebuild. Both of those are transitions. How many of us are in a transition season of life right now? In his book, Hope Quotient, author and pastor Ray Johnston tells a story about the time when he dropped his twin daughters off for college. He writes this, he says, It was the single hardest thing I have ever done. At two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, we gathered under an oak tree and took pictures. I choked on my words. As I said, in four years when you graduate, we'll stand underneath this oak tree again and take another picture with your diplomas. Then for the first time in my life, I watched them walk away. They followed a path to their dorm, while Carol, my wife, and I walked the other way to our car. It felt like the worst moment of my life. We pulled out of the driveway and we made it three blocks before I was crying so hard I couldn't see. I pulled into the parking lot and Carol and I just sat there holding each other and crying. After about 15 minutes, I finally dried my eyes. I looked up and realized that we had pulled into a bank parking lot. Then I thought of how much college was going to cost me and I cried for another five minutes. <laughs> Seasons of transition are hard. My first year of college was the most difficult of my life, but that was also the year that I gave my life to Christ, got guidance, and learned responsibility. If you are in a season of transition right now, you need to know that Jesus Christ does not change. Your address could change, your life will change, your friendships might change. 
Your job or your major could all change, but Jesus Christ will not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you also need to know this, that the season you are in now isn't the season you will be in forever. In other words, not only is it important to recognize what season you're in currently, it's also important to recognize when that season is coming to an end. Every season has an end date, and there are times to move on. For example, if you're dating someone right now, and that person is pulling you away from your relationship with Christ, could I lovingly ask you to consider that it's time to move on? Time to find someone who loves God as much as you do? Maybe for you, you drink too much. Can we talk about that for just a moment? Because you know that's true. You can sense it's a problem in your life. It's getting a grip on your life. You have learned enough from that season. It is time for you to move on. Maybe you're in your 20s right now and you're just caught up in a party lifestyle, sleep around, just like a lot of your friends are doing. Would you consider that it's time to move on? Move on into a new season of responsibility where you're using your time and your talents for God's glory and not just pleasure-seeking? Some of us had a bad experience in church growing up, and it really soured us on Jesus or church or faith. I'll talk to people all the time, and they'll say, you know, I, I just had this terrible confirmation class experience, and it just caused me to walk away from church, and I've never come back. And I'll think... That was 30 years ago. We've invented the internet since you had a bad experience in confirmation class. I mean, would you be willing to consider that it's time to move on from that and move into something greater with God? Some of us have bitterness in our life towards another person. And every time we think about that person, it's just, oh, I can't stand that person. I hate that person. It's time to move on. Some of us have been promising God for years that we were going to start reading the Bible on a daily basis. And up until this point, that's never really happened. What if you picked a time and picked a place this week and started to get into God's word on a daily basis and you moved on into a new season of spiritual growth in your life? Every season has an end date. And so let me ask you, is it time for you to move on? Is it time for you to move into that next season of your life? Some of us are in or need to be in a season of transition. A final season that you might be in is a season of grief. Look at these verses with me. Solomon says, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. Some of us just feel like our life is so scattered right now. We just can't seem to bring it all together. He says there's a time to tear and a time to mend. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to cry and a time to laugh. How many of us are in a season of tears right now? We have cried more tears in this last year than maybe the whole rest of our life combined. Maybe it's because you lost something that you loved. A loved one, a marriage, a dream you had for your life or a job. Maybe something was taken from you your purity, your reputation, your livelihood. For some of us, it's sickness and it's disease. Our whole family's been praying for a woman that we love who had cancer, 
went through chemo, was declared cancer-free, and then just this week found out that the cancer has returned and it's spreading all throughout her body. Has a whole team of doctors who aren't sure what the next step is. Her and her whole family are in a season of grief. If you're in a season of grief right now, I really hope that this next verse speaks to you. I hope that God will use it in your life. Solomon says this, he says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. What does he mean by that? Because cancer isn't beautiful. And depression doesn't feel beautiful. And losing someone that you love is certainly not beautiful. But the Bible makes this promise that God can bring beauty from even the most tragic events in our life, in time. It may not happen right away. It may not happen even in the next years or decades. But in time, God can bring beauty from even the most tragic events in our lives. I want you to know today that everything that you're going through has passed through the hands of God. He's not caught off guard by this. He's not surprised by this. He is completely in control. In fact, it doesn't so much matter what season of life you're in as much as it matters how you handle that season. Here are two ways to handle any season well. The first one is this. No matter what season you are in, you can trust God and obey his commands. Doesn't matter if you're in a season of transition or a season of prosperity, you can trust God and obey his commands. Look at what Solomon writes in verse 14. He says this, And I know that whatever God does is final. Those are the words of a person who trusts God no matter what. He says nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose in this is that people should fear him. All throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon goes back to this idea that we should fear God. He compares our pursuit of pleasure to chasing the wind. He says it's completely meaningless. But then in the last verse of Ecclesiastes, the last verse of the whole book, he says, here's my final conclusion, fear God and obey his commands, for this is the duty of every person. Why do you think Solomon emphasizes this idea that we should fear God? Because you don't hear much about that these days. If you go to the self-help bookstore, you'll find books on loving yourself and believing in yourself and being true to yourself. But none of them will ever say, really what you should do is fear God and obey his commands. Maybe you even think that sounds a little dark ages. You know, why do I don't need to fear God? Is he some mean guy up in the sky? What does Solomon mean by this? Well, a couple months ago, my wife was at one of our son's baseball games and she was trying to keep tabs on our three-year-old son, old son, Jasper, at the same time. And Sarah later told me that it was completely embarrassing. Because at one point, Jasper took off his shirt, ran into the opposing team's dugout, started throwing their bats and water bottles all over, and then he grabbed some kid's Gatorade and started drinking it. So the next week, I was at the baseball game with Jasper, and I was bound and determined that he was going to behave well. And so in the third inning, Jasper starts running towards a park that was across the parking lot from the field that we were playing on. And I was all over it. I was like, no, you cannot run over to the park because you can't go through that parking lot on your own. Jasper took one look at me, looked at the park, looked back at me, and started running as fast as he could for the park. And I know you're not supposed to chase after kids because then they think it's a big game, but I didn't want him to get hit by a car in this parking lot. 
And so I finally caught up to him on a field that was adjacent to ours. And as I did, one of the fans from the opposing team looked at me. And with a smile on his face, he said, at least he's got his shirt on this week. <laughs> that kid is going to be the death of me. But what is the problem here? Jasper doesn't fear me or obey my commands. I really wish that he would. But notice that I'm giving these commands out of love. I'm not on an ego trip. I'm not trying to control him. I love my son. I don't want him to get hit by a car in the parking lot. I want the very best for his life, and so I give him commands. It is the exact same way with God. God knows that sex outside of marriage can damage your soul and hurt your future relational intimacy. And so God says, don't do that. God knows that gossip is toxic to our relationships, and it will cause us to turn against one another instead of wanting the best for each other. And so God says, don't do that. But like my son, we often look at God and then run the other way. Three-year-olds do it. Thirty-three-year-olds do it. And so Solomon says, no matter what season of life you are in, trust God, obey God, fear him, and obey his commands. I was reading an article this week about Steph Curry. Steph Curry just won an NBA championship this week with the Golden State Warriors. He was the MVP of basketball this past year. And in the article, Curry said this. He said, I know that in the grand scheme of things, basketball is just a game that can be taken from me at any moment. It's very true. Right now, he is NBA champion Steph Curry, but if he blows out his ACL next week, he will be ex-NBA former player Steph Curry. It can be taken from you in an instant. He says, but I love that basketball gives me the opportunities to do good things for people and then get this part, and to point them towards the man who died for our sins on the cross. It is the same way in our lives. The season that you are in right now could change in an instant. It can change with a phone call. But for this moment in time, God has given you an opportunity. He has given you some form of leadership and influence. And the question is, how will you use that opportunity? in this season of life? Will you use it to point people to yourself? Or will you use it to do good for others and point them to Christ? Later on in that same article, Curry says this. He says, there's more to me than just this jersey that I wear. And that's Christ living inside of me. What is going on on the outside of your life right now isn't as important as who is on the inside of your heart. What is going on in the circumstances and the season of life that you are in on the outside isn't as important as who is on the inside of your heart. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you have the same spirit within you that rose Christ from the dead. And so no matter what season you are in, you can trust God and obey his commands. Second thing you can do no matter what season you're in is you can have God forever. Doesn't matter what season. I was recently reading through the Psalms, and I was reading Psalm 73. And verse 26 just stopped me dead in my tracks. And I'll tell you, the Bible does that sometimes. I was telling my wife, this is amazing, because these are just words on a piece of paper. 
and yet sometimes it's like they are living and they're active and they just speak right into your life. And so I'm reading this verse and I can just feel my faith increasing. I can feel my confidence that everything's going to be okay no matter what. Here's the verse. The psalmist writes, My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Some of us need to hear that verse today. Because your health is failing. Your spirit is growing weak. Sometimes you can just feel that. When you're busy or you're stressed or you're worried about your family or there's just some painful event in your life and you can just feel your spirit getting weaker. He says, even though your health is failing, even though your spirit may be growing weak, God will remain the strength of your heart forever. He is yours forever. Even on a hospital bed, he is yours and you are his. Even in death, he is yours and you are his. In fact, look at what Solomon writes in the next verse. He says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people can't see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Solomon says that God has planted eternity in our hearts. Every single one of us has a longing to live forever. Why do you think that is? According to C.S. Lewis, the great thinker and author, he says this. He says, if I find myself with a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I wasn't made for this world. Lewis's point is, for every single human longing, there is a corresponding fulfillment. We desire nourishment, and so we have food. We desire hydration, and so we have water. For every single human longing, there is a corresponding fulfillment here on earth, except for one. We have a longing to live forever. We long for eternity. If pure evolutionary theory were true, one would wonder why we have a desire for something that can't be fulfilled on this earth. Lewis says the most probable explanation is that we weren't made for this earth. That God has set eternity in our hearts and we instinctively know that this earth isn't all that there is. In fact, for thousands of years, atheists have been pr predicting the certain demise of Christianity. You can go back and you can read atheists from the 1700s, and they're like, ah, give it a hundred years, and this whole belief in God is just going to be done with. And yet today, a strong majority believes that God exists in part because God has put eternity in our hearts. But notice that Solomon says that our scope or our perspective is limited. Sometimes we think we see, but we don't. Sometimes we think we know, but we don't. For example, take a look at this picture on the side screens. I'm told that this car was going about 70 miles an hour, spun out on some gravel, flipped over that guardrail, and this is where the truck landed. Now, if you were driving that truck, you might have thought, well, God's not good. He didn't protect me. I mean, look, I got into an accident. But take a look at the next picture. Perspective matters, doesn't it? Sometimes we think we see, 
but we don't. Sometimes we think we know, but we don't. Our scope and our perspective on life is very limited. Just because you're going through a divorce right now, just because your spouse has left you or had an affair, just because your parents' health is failing and you're checking them into a facility, does not mean that God has left you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Our perspective, our scope is limited. Maybe the best example of this is the death of Christ. The night before Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. He then took a cup and he raised it and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you had been in that room that night, you would have thought, I, I don't see it. I don't know what you mean by that. As Jesus hung on the cross, that didn't look very good. But God had a plan to save this world from their sin, and Jesus had to suffer and die for that to happen. Our perspective was limited. And three days later, Christ rose again, showing just how limited that perspective is. As we celebrate communion together today as a church, it is my hope that you can declare to God that you trust him, no matter what season you find yourself in right now. That you can use this moment to say, God, I, I don't always see. And I don't always know why you're doing what you're doing. But right now, God, I will trust you that you have me in this season for a reason and for a purpose, God. And so at this time, I want to invite our communion servers down. You can begin passing out the elements at your campus. Regarding communion, you don't have to be a member of our church to participate. But the Bible says you do have to be a follower of Christ to understand the significance of what we're doing. And so if that's not you, just go ahead and let the plate pass. There's no shame in that whatsoever. Once you get the elements, it's a little tricky because you have to peel it back once to get to the bread and another time to get to the juice. But I would encourage you not to just take it right away when you receive it. But I want to encourage you to spend a moment holding on to your communion cup and just using that as a moment to pray quietly in your head to God. And just ask God, God, what season am I in right now? And what are you doing in my life right in that season? What are you trying to teach me in this season? As all this is going on, our band's going to be quietly playing behind us, and then your worship pastor is going to stand you to sing one final song.